I would imagine for a lot of us as 21st century Christians, it's difficult to read the Gospels without thinking, I feel so far removed from what's going on with this whole story of Jesus and his relationship with these followers. What to God that I'd been there. What to God that I could have been a witness to the things that these people experienced who wrote the Gospels, of the eyewitnesses who were there. Um, and we feel ourselves a bit distant and a bit far removed from these actual accounts. And we really have to utilize our God-given imaginations to kind of wonder uh, just how these incidents we look at might have looked. Um, but also we're given help by the Lord so that uh, we might, though we might feel ourselves removed, God's actually given us all the requisite tools to be a people who really have no different qualitative experience uh, of Jesus than these disciples who walked with him. But now, it's true, we, we feel ourselves at a deficit. Uh, we feel that uh, if only we were there, if only we saw the, the healings that Jesus did, sick people who came to him, and he made them every bit whole, to have beheld him, this mighty stiller of the winds and the waves, to see his ability to multiply the loaves and the fish, to feed 5,000 people, to turn water into wine. What would we give to be at that wedding at Cana of Galilee? To see our Lord walking on the turbulent sea of Galilee. Which one of us wouldn't have given, wouldn't give a king's ransom at least for a time to, I don't think I want to necessarily live in the first century full time, but just to be there for the moment and to see these great events with our own eyes, these wonderful deeds of love, these mighty deeds of Christ's power. And yet of everything that the gospel records about our Lord, the thing that I desired to have experienced more than anything would have been the way Jesus spoke. It would have been the things that Jesus taught. And not just the content of what he said, but also his manner in his teaching. Again, Scripture highlights that. Again, we have to imagine what it sounded like and what it, how they experienced it. But, in, for instance, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read that he taught with authority and not as the scribes. We read of how he confounded his enemies in the end of chapter 22 after groups of people came to him looking to trip him up in his speech. Uh, the scripture tells us that no longer did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. He so fully confounded them. Wouldn't you love to have been there to see their faces when Jesus spoke and confounded them as they thought they were going to be the ones that knew more about Jesus and would be able especially to trip them up with respect to scriptural things and how Jesus simply silences them completely. Surely there was something in our Lord's manner as well as in the matter of the things that he spoke that brought Mary to sit at his feet, to listen to his teaching with, with rapt and loving attention that made the, the children not shy away from him, but rather to come to him, to hear his words, and to be blessed of him. Clearly, Jesus is the teacher par excellence, the teacher for the ages. No one taught like 
Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament anticipated that he would be this amazing teacher. You think of the prophet Isaiah, who speaks of the way that the servant of the Lord was given a tongue of the learned, that he might know how to sustain with a word him who was weary. That's in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. In the previous chapter, it tells us about the same servant, how God made his mouth like a sharp sword with which he was prepared for his labors. Isn't that amazing? A sharp sword. His mouth is a sharp sword, and yet he has a tongue of the learned. He's equipped both to reprove and to revive, to correct and to comfort, to devastate and to delight those who heard his words. I say this because John 16, verses 12 to 14, the passage that we will look at this morning, it seems to me we see demonstrated not only the content, the wisdom found in our Lord's words, but also the wisdom of the ways that he expressed them. Turn, if you will, to John 16, beginning at verse 12. Uh, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine. Again, what's mine is all that the Father has. All that the Father has, I have. And all that I have, the Spirit will have. And all that the Spirit has from the Father and the Son, he will declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This morning I want to look with you at the wisdom of the way our Lord taught. And then I want to say something about the substance of these words that he actually taught and spoke in this passage. In fact, the the wisdom, again, the the, the prophet said he'd have a tongue of the learned. learned. And, And the tongue of the learned not only knows what to say, but he knows when to say it. You know, so much of how we relate to people with our words is not just that we know the answers. We have all the answers. We have it all nailed down. We know the truth. And if only people would listen to us speak, uh, then they would be enlightened by us. But so much of the way we relate to people really has to take into account, is it the right time to say the things that we know? I mean, we're so brilliant, aren't we? We have all this knowledge. But is it the right time to speak? Well, sometimes it's not. And even our Lord recognized that. He said, I still have many things to say to you. So sit down and for the next couple of hours, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to lecture. Is that what he says? No. He has many things to say to them, but this is not the time. You cannot bear them now. At this time... Our Lord's hearers, these disciples, don't need to have everything dumped on them. Everything that Jesus has to say to them. Right now, at this time, at this hour, they need help. 
His words have brought sorrow to their hearts. They need His words of comfort and promise. His words of consolation. They need to have an understanding of who they are and why they're sent and what they're to do and how can they do it. Are we up to it? What are our responsibilities and what are our our resources? And so what Jesus does at this point, He centers upon what they need to know at this time. He had much more to say to them. But at this point, it wasn't, they weren't ready. It would have gone over their heads, under their heads, around their heads. It would have become confusing. It would have become counterproductive to their best interest. Again, he has the tongue of the learned to speak a word in season to those that are weary. Our Lord not only knows what to say, he also knows when to say it. What he told them at this time was what they needed to know at this time. At this particular moment in time. You can't bear it now. This time when you're troubled. When your hearts are sorrowful. Now you need the comfort. Now I need to prepare you for things immediate at hand. Start giving you teaching about ecclesiology. Eschatology. All theologies. It just would not have been seemly. It just would not have been right. Oh, this time I want you to know just who's the head of the church. It's me and not Peter. I've got to prepare you for that. I've got to tell you what, how the church is to conduct its, uh, its life, its, uh, its worship. I need to tell you about church offices and church government and the relations of one church to another church. We've got to figure all this out. and We've got to do it now because, well, I have lots of things to tell you. Jesus has lots of things to say. But those other things would not have been an appropriate part of our Lord's present instruction for the good and edification and upbuilding of these disciples. He's not left them unprepared. He's told them what they need to know now, and he's also made provision for the future. Because he not only says... I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There's a time when you're going to need to bear them. There's a time when you're going to need to hear them. There's a time when you're going to need to know them. And I made provision for that as well. Because even though I'm going away, again, remember he told them, it is for your advantage that I go, for if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. But the fact is the helper is going to come to you in verse 13, when the helper comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, the expression all the truth that the spirit is going to guide them into does not mean all the things there are to be known. In other words, the coming of the Spirit does not make believers omniscient, even though I think some believers think they are. It doesn't mean we have every answer to every question or that the Spirit will guide us infallibly. Rather, just as Jesus teaches in this pattern of progressively revealing what believers need to know when they need to know it, you know, the, the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He's going to teach them in the exact same way 
And he's going to guide believers with increasing measures of light and understanding. When Jesus says he will guide you into all the truth, he's referring to all the truth he has to tell them now that they cannot bear now. It's all these things, many things to say to you, which he's not going to say now. It doesn't mean they're not going to know it. They're going to learn it because he's sending them his spirit. It's the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of Christ who will be with them and dwell with them and illuminate their minds. Back in chapter 14, he spoke of the spirit of of truth. When he says in chapter 14, in verse 26, well, back up to 25, he says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. I've got more to say. You can't bear them now. But these are the things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But there's more you're going to learn. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the all things here are the things that Jesus has already talked about, that Jesus has already spoken about, and we tend to forget, but the Spirit will be the Spirit that will remind us. Bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has said, and then he's going to teach you all things, and that doesn't mean he's going to make you mathematicians if you don't know anything about math, that you're going to be able to solve difficult problems of, of calculus. Thankfully, that's not any part of our responsibility. He's going to teach you all things needful, all things that pertain to the work he's called us to do, the lives he's called us to live, that we might be mature in him, that we might be faithful before him, that we might be able to live the lives that Paul spoke of when he wrote to the Romans, and he spoke about this matter of the obedience of faith. It's all things needful for life in God's world and godliness, Christ's conformity. And so the truth in this passage doesn't mean all knowledge. In fact, truth is a concept in Scripture that's closely related to the matter of being faithful. When God reveals himself as a God of truth, he's not just saying, I know everything there is to know. That's not saying he's omniscient. He's saying he's faithful. He's true. He's true to his words. Whatever he has said, he means, and he will fulfill. He watches over his word to perform it. That's the concept in the Old Testament of what's called emeth. It's a Hebrew word that's usually translated truth. And it doesn't mean knowledge. It means faithfulness. It's the truth that enables us to respond to any given situation as faithful and true disciples of Jesus. Not just knowing the right doctrine, but knowing the right thing that we might do the right thing. That's how the Spirit guides us. The Spirit guides us to be truthful people in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way we interact with others, in all of our relationships. He guides us throughout life, not to make us brilliant theologians, but to make us holy men and women, walking in the ways of God, walking in the ways of Christ. So, how does Jesus teach? What's this wondrous way in which he teaches? Well, again, he teaches, along with his spirit, teaches according to our capacity, giving us what we need to know, when we need to know it, in order that we might live 
obedient lives as his disciples. That's the promise he gave to these 11 people in the upper room. And I believe it's promises that are true for all believers. That the Spirit of God is given to guide us, lead us into all the truth. And again, the way God leads, you've got to think of it in terms of the way he led Israel in the wilderness. Again, they're in a wilderness and they don't know which way to go or where, how to turn, how to stand, stand clear of their adversaries. But God led them by his own presence in the, in, the, in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, we don't get a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, but we get the Holy Spirit. And that's no less the presence of God, the presence of God with us as the Spirit of Christ is given to us. To teach us in accordance to our capacity, giving us what we need to know when we need to know it, to live obedient lives as his disciples, to live and walk in the truth. Now, what's the substance of our Lord's words? It's not only the way that he teaches, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But the substance of his words is the promise of the Spirit of truth. And I think what we need to understand is that the Spirit of truth is the Spirit of Christ. He doesn't speak on his own authority. He doesn't speak independently of Jesus. And he doesn't speak independently of the Father who sent Jesus. Get back in chapter 15. Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. What he speaks is what he hears, what he's been given by the Father to speak. That he speaks. And so the Spirit's not going to do anything different than Jesus did. Jesus spoke the words of the Father... And the Spirit speaks the words of Jesus and the words of the Father, which are the words of the Father. It's the actions of the triune God working in concert with one another. You're not going to get a different thing from the Holy Spirit than what you get from Jesus or what you get from the Father. I mean, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of that. Some people think if you get Jesus, you don't really get all the benefits and all the blessings and you really stand in great need of, uh, of something further. You need the Holy Spirit really to get your life going. But again, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And to have Jesus is to have His Spirit. I will send the Spirit. I will ask the Father. He will give you another comforter. We don't have to go through, you know, Jumping through hoops in order to get the Holy Spirit. It's the free gift of God's grace to come to all who comes to all who believe. And whatever the Spirit has heard from the Father and the Son, He will not withhold from us. He will not keep silent about. He will communicate to us. Whatever He hears. He will speak. Again, continuity between the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of Jesus. They don't work at cross purposes to one another. There are these unified operations of the persons of the Godhead. And in a real sense, folks, if we take this teaching seriously, we won't be bemoaning the fact that we didn't walk with Jesus in the days of his flesh. Because we will walk with Jesus nonetheless. The same Jesus comes to us in the presence of the Spirit so that we're not distant from Him. We still sit at His feet. We still walk with Him 
We still hear His voice. Now granted, we don't see Him walking on water. But again, it's not that we need to. Again, He gives us what we need to hear and know and see at the times when we need it. I'm not certain seeing Him walk on water in the Sea of Galilee is going to benefit us as much as the reality of His Word and presence ministering His grace to us. But the Spirit brings Jesus to us. That's the important thing to understand. So we're not with, ever without Jesus because we're not ever without the abiding presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. But not only is the Spirit the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit that brings to mind the words of Jesus and teaches us all things that Jesus would have taught his disciples in the flesh if they could have bored then they couldn't but now it's an ongoing work of ministry through Christ through, uh, of Christ by the Spirit but Jesus also emphasizes something else that the Spirit of God will do and that is he will tell you things to come he will tell you things that are to come he will declare to you the things that are to come Now again, he's not going to tell you everything that's going to come. There are specific things that the Spirit will focus upon. And I think in the first century church, you see how that worked in terms of needs that the church had to be prepared for. That the Spirit spoke through prophets in the first century church. We read about these things in the book of Acts. Remember that guy Agabus? Read about Agabus in chapter 11 in the book of Acts. This prophet Agabus prophesied that there would be a coming famine. Well, why did they need to know that? To be able to, you know, have like a, a something to do at parties? You know, you, oh, I know something nobody else knows. A famine's coming. Isn't that wonderful? I, it's not a parley game. It's not something that you, you just pull out as a, as, as a trick. It was to prepare the church to minister to the needy. When that famine would come, they would have some notice of it to be prepared for it. And so when the famine came, the church at Antioch were all prepared. They sent a contribution that the church raised by the hand of Barnabas and and Paul. They could do it right away, right when the need was at its most acute. The church at Antioch was able to meet the needs of the needy Jerusalem saints. We're also told that Agabus prophesied, and also four daughters of Philip, I believe uh, they they prophesied that when Paul went up to Jerusalem, he would be imprisoned. He would be imprisoned. He would be arrested. And that too was something that Paul needed to know didn't come upon him unawares. He knew that would, was, was what was going to happen. It factored into his choice, to Jerusalem or not to Jerusalem, to, not to go to Jerusalem. Of course, he went to Jerusalem saying that uh, he knows that uh, prison bonds await him, but he doesn't, uh, he doesn't fear those things. His only concern is he might finish his race with joy, he says. And if that meant imprisonment, it was fine with him. And he'd be prepared for it when that hour came. And so the focus of these passages about prophecy, it's not on world history, but really church history. And not church history in the most magnified sense, but church history quite localized. Right where the people were involved and the situation was involved and the need of the hour was 
a, a pressing need. Again, the Spirit does not come to make us omniscient, nor does it come to scratch every itch of our desires to know the future. It's the need of the present hour. This prophecy was given to the early church to prepare for a coming famine and a coming arrest. To make the people involved, aware, and prepared for those events. Does the Spirit do that now today? Well, I imagine he can, most often not. Again, we're called upon to live by faith. I think in the early church, they were kind of given a a special blessing, a special comfort that the Lord gave through this gift of prophecy. Now we have the totality of God's word to direct us and guide us. And we are prepared when Jesus says the world will hate you. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated me before you. We are prepared in that Jesus said the time is going to come when They're going to kill you and think they're doing service to God. They're going to cast you out of their synagogues. Those are words that should be received as preparation. Maybe for the worst case scenario, but it's a scenario that comes to some. We need to be prepared through the word of God. I'm always amazed what people think that the gift of prophecy does. They think in the modern day it makes them able to predict who's going to win the next election. We were out in Youngstown, Ohio, having breakfast. Uh, Pastor Nichols and I were talking, and a woman comes up to us, and she was just overbrimming with delight that we were talking about spiritual things. But she wanted us to know that she was a follower of these prophets that are prophesying on uh, YouTube and on uh, uh, you know, social media. I knew the names of those prophets. I've watched some of their YouTube things. So these are people that are knee deeply involved in political concerns, and they think they have the gift of telling the future of what's in store for America. And of course, it's their own agenda that they're pushing, and they clearly not prophets because they prophesied wrongly the 2020 election. They got it wrong. They don't admit they got it wrong. They find ways to wheedle out of the fact that they clearly said two consecutive terms. No, they won't even admit to it. They won't even admit that they were wrong. And so I was very free to say to that, that woman, Jesus on the Mount the Transfiguration was there with both Elijah and Moses. And God came in a cloud. And when they were thinking, let's set up uh, tabernacles here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus, and kind of put them all in a, on equal terms. And... Um, The voice from the cloud, the voice of God said, This is my son, my beloved. Hear ye him. And I said to her, I know if we hear Jesus, we have the word of God. I know that the words of men will let us down. They will disappoint us. I went through the whole thing that I thought would be a very clear, compelling case for the fact that God speaks in Christ and God speaks definitively in Christ. Read Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and you'll see that God speaks definitively in Christ. The God who spoke to our fathers in time past and the prophets has now at the end of these days spoken to us in His Son. There's a Son speaking that God has done, a Son revelation that is the final, definitive, clearest, most um, wondrous revelation. And nothing that's being said today by so-called prophets could eclipse what God has said in His Son. 
And our ears need, need to be pinned to the voice of Christ speaking in His words, in the Son revelation, in the revelation given to us about Him. Turn a deaf ear to every other voice, especially when they say they're prophets of God who simply get things wrong. As prophets of God don't get things things wrong. Read Deuteronomy chapter 13 and Deuteronomy chapter 18 and God tells you what the distinguishing features of the prophets were. One thing was true of them. They knew what they were talking about because God spoke through them. I don't know who, who's in, motivating the, these prophecies of the modern world, but I know who spoke... Um, I, I know who motivated the prophets of the Old Testament. I know who moved the apostles of the New Testament. I know where God's word can be found. And it seems to me this book is going to keep us busy hearing God's voice. That we don't need to look for other new voices. The more, more, likely, than not, the, 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 uh, more likely than not will only tend to lead us astray. And so the Spirit comes as the Spirit of Christ being the presence of the triune God with us, the presence of Christ with us. The Spirit comes to tell us things to come. The Spirit of prophecy. But the most important thing to know about the coming of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit of the Father and of the Son comes to glorify the Son. He will glorify me. Jesus says. And how will he do this? Well, he'll take of mine. He'll take the things that belong to me. What belongs to Jesus? Well, does not love belong to Jesus? He will take my love and he will declare it to you. Does grace belong to Jesus? He will take of my grace and he will make it known to you. Does wisdom belong to Jesus? He will take my wisdom and he will reveal it to you. Does compassion belong to Jesus? He will take of my compassion and he will declare it to you. My power, he will declare it to you. My saving achievement, he will declare it to you. Whatever belongs to Jesus is the work of the Spirit to make it known. All the things of the Father that the Father has given to me, the Spirit will come and give to you. In other words, the Spirit comes to continue the work. Jesus leaving and going to the Father does not mean the end. In a real sense, it's the beginning. It's the achieving of His saving Work that brings us into the orbit of the divine presence and brings us into the reality of the saving accomplishment whereby we're given forgiveness of our sins, we're given access to God, we're given to rejoice in hope of glory. All the blessings of the new covenant come to us in and through our Lord Jesus as the Spirit of God comes and makes those realities real. We're not losers living in the 21st century. Jesus said to his disciples, it's to your advantage. I go away. Why? You're not going to lose anything. Yes, you won't be seeing my smile perhaps, but you won't be bereft of my heart, 
my pleasure, my love. The spirit of truth will mediate to you all that is in me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Consider what we possess as believers through the Spirit. I think this is a passage of Scripture that really should impress upon our hearts our need, first of all, to be patient with others. You know, we all grow at different rates. Some of you love to read theology. Some of you get lost. Some of you have made great strides in your devotional life. Others struggle every day to get the Bible opened and to get the Bible read and to offer prayers unto, unto God. And what Jesus does with his disciples is he exercises patience. He doesn't dump on them things they're not prepared for, things they don't have a capacity to receive. He understands they're going to have a greater capacity down the road and they won't be without the, the, the needed instruction at the time that it's needed. But Jesus in his compassion and in his tenderness and in his patience, he's the one that guides us by the Spirit. And he guides us by the Spirit as he takes us by the hand and he leads us, each of us, at our own level, at our own rate, our own ability to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so none of us are at a disadvantage. We have a perfect teacher instructing us and leading us and guiding us with his own presence still with us by the Spirit of God that is given to us. But not only as a teacher, but as a presence. As a constant presence with us. Never to leave us. Never to forsake us. To think of it, folks, he has many things to say to us. Many things to say to you. Are we hearing it? Are our ears open to him? Are we saying, Lord Jesus, today teach me the things I need to know? Teach me today the things I need to learn? Teach me the questions to ask? I've for some reason gotten into that habit of when I come down to my study, just like open up my Bible and I read a text. I don't say, well, I know what this means. I don't. I, I used to say that. Oh, I got this handled. I got this all clearly understood. I say, Lord, I even begin to know the questions to ask about what the Word of God means. I don't even know the questions to begin to ask about the things you want of me. Teach me to know the questions first and then give me a heart to search for the answers. What are the right questions? Where are the right answers to be found? Well, it's not to be found in my own noggin. It's not necessarily to be found in the riches of the theology books I have on my bookshelf, although they're not bad and they are helpful. But it's to be found in Christ. It's to be found in this spirit. It's to be found in the reality and the, the dynamic of a present God. Our life should be lived in the reality of His presence. We 
God help us to so learn Christ, to know that he is present with us by the Spirit. Therefore, wisdom we have access to, knowledge we have access to, understanding we have access to, compassion we have access to. None of us can say, that's not me. I can't be like Jesus for this reason, that reason, or the next reason, because it's just not me. In fact, we can be fully what Jesus wants us to be because his presence is with us to teach us. He has many things to say to us. May God give us open ears, open hearts, open minds, the openness to hear his voice and hearing his voice to learn more and more, to be doers of his will, to render to the Lord the obedience of faith, to live to his pleasure and to his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for what Jesus teaches. We're thankful for the way he teaches. We're thankful you've given us this most wondrous and excellent, most competent teacher who has the tongue of the learned to speak words of comfort to the weary, to speak words of reproof to those that need it. And we pray that we would be a people who have ears to hear his voice, that we would be compliant in your hand to follow your directives through the Spirit to learn more and more of the ways of Christ. We pray that you'd hear our prayers. We pray that you'd bless your people. For Jesus' sake, amen.